You're listening to a Count Out Podcast. everyone thank you for joining me on another episode of your dose of death podcast as always thank you guys for joining me each and every single week or other weeks since with this episode i know i had to wait a week but it was well worth the wait and uh before i start today i just wanted to kind of do something a little bit different um just want to take some time out of this podcast to um pay tribute to someone who was a big supporter of the podcast and um, who unfortunately passed away a couple days ago, Justin, um, who was better known as old old school, old fool, a friend of the Bumwine Bob podcast network, um, unfortunately passed away in his sleep a few days ago. And um, I just want to give him a shout out. He had, he had been there for me when um, others weren't. He always tried to be a positive voice in the internet wrestling community um, and I want to give my best to the Bumwine Bob guys. Um, I know this is a really tough time for you having to hear this, especially from far away. Um, so thank you, um, Justin. I know, I hope you're listening in heaven, man. Um, we all miss you. But um, I, anyways, this episode is dedicated to him. Um, and that being said, of course, um, gonna skip the formalities today because this is episode number 25 this is someone who has been a big supporter of this podcast since day one um as we'll get into as always a guy who i consider a friend um and truly one of the best deathmatch wrestlers in the world even though he might not consider that um i'm really happy to bring on the man the myth the legend the smash hit hit himself joel bayman how you doing my friend that's the uh, the best intro I've ever gotten on any podcast ever. <laughs> but um, it, it sucks that we have to start out with a somber note. But usually I, these ones are for me. But Justin's been a big supporter of obviously yourself. Deathmatch wrestling and independent wrestling. So this one is for Justin. Um, good morning to you. <laughs> uh, good evening to me. It's not appropriate for you to drink beer at what I believe is about 8 o'clock in the morning. Nah. But uh, it's about it's 10 past 11 on Sunday night. Uh, here in Australia, so um, it's appropriate for me to be able to. to yeah, it's, it's 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 beer o'clock somewhere, as they put it. Of course, as... in Australia, it is always <laughs> beer o'clock. If it's even if it's eight o'clock on a Wednesday morning, it's still beer o'clock in Australia. That's the joys of having a country that's founded by convicts. <laughs> that's that's true, man. Um, but anyways, I know you've been a man who's been busy, but of course, I know as well. Um, things have changed in Australia with everything going on from the snap lockdowns. Um, to DMDU just having to um, kind of change in schedule and whatnot, especially with talent-wise. Um, I know you yourself just had another match last night as well. For many of you that don't know, DMDU or Deathmatch Donder um, had a show yesterday. And, of course, um, we were talking about it off-air, how um, that was a real interesting one for you. Um, how have things been going with Deathmatch Donder these days? Um, well, uh, I guess I have still have a little bit of imposter syndrome. I'm surprised it's all still going as well as it is. And that people like yourself and everyone 
uh, around the world still support us and enjoy what we're doing. You know, Australia is so goddamn isolated. We're a 10-hour flight from Tokyo, a 24-hour flight to London, or a 15-hour flight to LA, and then a connecting flight to anywhere else in the US. We're our own little island, so to be able to put out Deathmatch Wrestling and to have the rest of the world pick up what we're putting down is really, really cool. But yeah, we had a show last night. We had a show called Come Correct up in Ballarat, which is maybe like an hour and a half out of Metropolitan Melbourne with a space. Mm-hmm. So kind of like a regional show. Super cool little venue. Admittedly, I was panicked that the ring wasn't going to fit. That, that worried me. <laughs> um, and then we put the ring in. I was like, oh, there's plenty of room. Oh, okay. All right. I'm, I'm not so stressed anymore. But uh, standing room only show. It was really cool. A lot of people said it felt it felt very voltage loungy and uh, PWG Legion holy. Okay. Which was awesome. But uh, in the main event, I was wrestling uh, Jason Crusher Cole in a Ballarat Boards deathmatch. And two minutes in, he had an issue with his legs. He's okay now. I spoke to him this morning. But uh, he had a, a nerve issue in his legs where he said he couldn't feel his legs. So we had to call that match off very, very early. So something I do want to bring up because it, it kind of runs parallel. I'm really happy in 2021 with deathmatch companies putting the wrestlers safety yeah. first. Because the other big story coming out of this weekend, which I'm sure we'll touch on by before we uh, finish recording, is Nick Gage getting pulled from the main event yes. of the Dallas show mm-hmm. this weekend on not a lot of notice. Like that's the fact that they they were willing to put the talent's health first. DMDU, you know, we pride ourselves on paying a lot of money for a really good treatment team and and having protocols in place. And we're doing something so risky to make sure that we still have you know like some health and safety measures there. Yeah. So like. I'm glad that Crusher didn't try to, like, he wanted to keep going, but I'm glad he listened and Cooler Heads prevailed and didn't try to work through. So uh, Will Walker stepped in on literally no notice. He got in the ring in his streets with no pads and no tape and no nothing uh, and did the deathmatch main event with me last night. So that was a bit of fun. Um, So I'm really excited for that to air on IWTV because that's kind of a unique situation that you don't really plan for, but when it happens, it's very, very special. Yeah, I was going to say, sometimes the best matches are the ones that are not scheduled. And um, I'm very excited to see how that goes. As we were talking off air about that. And um, that that was a real interesting one to talk about because you really did not know what was going to happen until it happened. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I know um, with the upcoming schedule as well, I mean, you have a very big tournament coming up. Of course, I'm talking about the dream tournament or death rules, everything around me. And I just want to kind of give you guys a little insight. Um, Yours truly is going to be involved in that weekend. Um, I will, your dose of death will be on the canvas. And I want to give a special shout out to someone who was a listener of the show, Sean Taggart who um, is, is a friend of mine who has been very supportive of the podcast, literally reached out to me one day. I was at dinner, actually. This is a fun story. And he's like, so how about this? I get you on the dream term of canvas. I'm like, you're serious, right? I'm like, he's like, yeah. I'm like, like I, I would totally have done it myself. But um, out of the kindness of his heart, he was like, I will get you on there. I'll cover everything they need. You just send the logo. I'm like, okay then. So um, the fru- the fruition happened, and now, of course, I will be on that um, dream canvas. Um, and what is being billed as Australia's first ever deathmatch tournament. When I say those words, uh, what sinks into your mind? I'm going to be so sore by the end of that weekend. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited. 
like deathmatch wrestling in one form or another like we spoke about it in, in like a written format you know many a moon ago but yeah. has been around in australia since the the, the mid to late 70s mm-hmm. and now having it come full circle and being able to put on like a proper deathmatch tournament like you ask any of the uh the deathmatch guys in the west what they knew about australia pre-dmdu mad dog crackerjack and the backyard tournament of hate tournaments yeah so that 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 was all we knew and like tournament of hate I, I i've got some cool things to tell you about that off air actually one of the photographers if i'm correct performed in the uh, original tournaments eight oh wow uh, which is which is really cool to kind of come full circle to kind of catch up with him in person and be like holy shit you're that guy who did this um but it's uh it's super surreal to still be able to uh like to know that we've got this big deathmatch tournament on the the horizon my uh my garage is slowly filling up with light tubes my wife is not super wrapped about it i think the count at the moment is at about <laughs> the count at the moment is at about a thousand uh, and is growing every week so it's uh it's looking to be a really cool tournament uh I, i'm super excited yeah nervous anticipation is pretty much where we're at we yeah. have we have no prerequisite to live up to but in the same breath we also have every deathmatch tournament ever to live up to and not only that i think this 2021 deathmatch season has probably been the best in a very very long time like i like tos6 i put up there with the the best deathmatch tournament ever um you know with king of the deaths coming up on the horizon i haven't seen the awr tournament yet i'm really looking forward to watching that probably tomorrow night um you know and the way to win a tournament in the middle of winter thank god it's indoors yeah um but you know it, it's still kind of surreal that we get to be dropped in uh kind of you know and be in the talking point and in the conversation with these other amazing legendary tournaments it, it's uh super cool and super humbling yeah i think that's really awesome that like i mean and from my point of view it's like i'm a part of the very first deathmatch tournament in a country that has prided itself on wrestling for so many years but now deathmatch wrestling has become the forefront and it feels crazy to be a part of it. And from your perspective, I mean, this is like everything. This this is like what you guys have been working for as a promotion since starting. I mean, mind you, you haven't even been a promotion for a year yet, like actively, that is. So being able to do a deathmatch tournament with the caliber of talent that you have has been nothing short of incredible. From, I mean, your heavyweight champion, Richie Taylor, to your tag team champions and the misspent youth to Aussie open to um, there's so many great people that are working. I mean, Charlie Evans, who I'm a huge fan of. Man. Holy shit. Right. <laughs> there, there, if there was one person from that heavyweight title tournament who was like, this is the MVP. This is who I like is the person you need to be the cornerstone. Charlie Evans was that person. I mean, of course as well though, she, I, I've always called her the Australian Megumi Kudo. She lives up to that bill each and every single time. <laughs> yes, she does. Um, and as well, she's an absolute deathmatch star. If, um, you have, if anyone hasn't seen it, I highly recommend the Joel Bateman-Charlie Evans match. A spectacular deathmatch. One of the coolest finishes, even though you were on the brunt end. Of yeah, I don't know what Lauren's talking about. The whole thing was dog shit. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> But that that cyclone suplex, that's like that's like an iconic moment for me in the DMDU history books. Honestly, I'm glad you picked up on it. Like Charlie and I have known each other for a really long time, and we both have 
very similar influences in terms of like our wrestling history. And if you go back and you watch the finishing stretch of that match, every single move, we can't put each other other away with our own moves. Yeah. So we go to our idols. That, I tried the jet. I, I go for the general order. Doesn't work. Backfist to the future. Yeah. Like they go, like go and look at through them all and like go back and watch it. And you go, okay, shit. Eddie Kingston, you know, the honorary yeah. member of the Medusa complex all the way through. And then Minami Toyota is one of Charlie's biggest influences. And mm-hmm. that, that was the move that beat me. So, yeah. and then even Marcus Crane going, hey, fucking good ocean cyclone suplex. Like that was super cool as well. Um, Charlie Evans is an absolute rock star. Um, we are, I, I say this a lot. We had the blessing of the pandemic where so many people got to come home if for only a short amount of time. And the fact that Charlie's happy to hang around for a moment and, and kind of be a part of the Australian scene when they could land in any country in the world and be an absolute superstar. Yeah. Um, the fact that she's happy to hang around here in Australia and be a part of this scene uh, and make Australia, you know, help put us on the map uh, a little bit more. Uh, we are so, so lucky that she's happy to hang around. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's almost like a blessing in disguise kind of in that sense. And uh, there, there's been, there's been so much of that. Like, and again, we spoke about it in a written format, but DMDU was meant to launch in like May of 2020. Yeah. So, so, so we had Casanova Valentine out here in March um, as the pandemic kicked off. And he did like a, a couple of no ring shows, which was going to kind of be the, the launch party for the promotion. And we actually had to cancel the third show on the tour because lockdown started to hit here in Victoria, in Melbourne, where we live, yeah. um, because of the COVID 19 pandemic. He almost didn't get back. Uh, and it was, I believe it was ICW, it was No Holds Barred 2 that he almost missed, where he ended up wrestling Nick Gage. Yeah. He almost missed that because of the the lockdowns here and the flight cancellations and all that kind of stuff. So, like, that's how finally we cut it. But we had the blessing in the pandemic to be able to sit here as a company. And, like, Melbourne, uh, the city I live in, was locked down for seven months. Yeah. Hardcore lockdown. You could only leave your house to exercise go to a doctor or go shopping that was it so we got to sit here and kind of watch the world pass us by a little bit but so much obviously happened the black lives matter movement happened the speaking out movement happened and it completely changed what we were going to do as a wrestling promotion so we kind of had time to cross our t's and dot our i's so that when we started to come out of lockdown in you know october november december and then our debut show in january yeah we we had the time to kind of put it all together and present a product that i think you know for whatever we've been able to do seems to be working that's now kind of resonating with the rest of the world which is super super cool yeah that's the thing with dmdu that i always tell my friends or those who are just interested in professional wrestling from an independent standpoint I always point them in your direction because you you are the most progressive promotion i know and i mean that in all the right ways i mean from literally the smallest things to having wrestlers pronouns on entrance graphics which i think is groundbreaking for 2021 i mean like you you don't see that a lot you don't see mm-hmm. even the bigger promotions don't even do, like that's a huge thing especially for someone like who is comfortable in their own skin being able to um go as a they which um shout out to jay as well Mm-hmm. Um, like it, that's a huge thing, and I think, uh, and you guys, as you said, you had seven months plus 
to be able to sit down, evaluate the current culture, speaking out happened, Black Lives Matter happened, all these things, and you're be and now you're here six, seven months later with an active wrestling promotion, you're like, damn, like I'm proud of what we've been able to do and the people that have come together been able to put something out that really, I mean, it's progressive, but also fun. Like you want to be a part of something fun in wrestling, right? Totally. I, we, we don't want to sit here and be the ones, uh, we don't want to be kind of the teachers, you know, and the odd duty going, you can't do this, you can't do that. We, if we're putting on something so extreme as death matches and something so intense and so legitimately dangerous, we want it to be a safe space for everybody. And that's why, like we were talking about, like with Nikki getting pulled this weekend, we have a treatment team. We are the first wrestling company in Australia to mandate blood testing regularly, not only for deathmatch competitors, but, but for, for all our competitors. That's amazing. You know, ma- to mandate blood testing. We have mental health first aid on site. If, you know, one of the fans freaks out at, you know, any of the content we put out, if they can't handle it, we have mental health first aid there. We have paramedics on site. All that kind of stuff. If we're so extreme on one side doing these crazy death matches, we want to be so extreme on the other side and having the support there, not only for the performers, but for the fans. Like some of the stuff, I'm so proud of us as a company. Sometime, like you said, you, you mentioned Jay, who's obviously now they, them with their pronouns. We've had fans who've gone, this is the first time I've kind of left the house as a they. Wow. And it's like, I, I'm comfortable uh, wearing a dress outside the house for the first time. Wow. I feel like I'm me and I know I can come to your show and not, cop shit for being myself i'm comfortable here to do that that kind of stuff is super cool even last night at come correct um like yeah ballarat's a regional town it's a little bit country yeah um but someone kept chanting suck his dick you know like uh (laughs) you know homophobic slurs of the wrestlers he got thrown the fuck out before the main event wow and the crowd cheered when he got bounced wow like you know we put messages out at the start of every show, you know, any homophobic, racist, um, misogynistic comments won't be tolerated and you'll get bounced without any fucking refund. Yeah. And that, and that person got bounced without any fucking refund. Wow. And the rest of our community supported that. They understand what a safe space is and what a safe space means. And it's super, super cool to kind of have those two parallels, like you said, to be, to, to have things like pronouns and stuff in our graphics and making sure we don't misgender people. Uh, even to the point where, like, you know, for, for example, if something's come through and, and commentary of Mr., we'll go back through and re record commentary. Yeah. Um, to make sure that people agended properly. Uh, all that kind of stuff. Like, it, it's stuff that we pride ourselves on because wrestling is kind of like all this dorky nerd shit that we all were as kids. Mm-hmm. And now we've all grown up and now we're all adults that are all still into dorky nerd shit. <laughs> so, why don't we take care of our own community and make sure that everyone inside this community feels safe and, and welcome? And comfortable to be themselves and not have to pretend that there's somebody they're not. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, as I've kind of put it to a bunch of friends and colleagues, like DMDU is the blueprint. In my, in my honest opinion, I mean this as, as I've gone to shows all around the United States, you guys really are the blueprint to being progressive, but also being able to accommodate for every single potential situation possible as a wrestling promotion, which uh, it's incredible to see in 2021 that there are people like yourselves who are socially conscious of the world around them. It's, it's, it's kind of a novel concept that goes sometimes by the wayside, which should not be the case. 
but with DMD, you guys have really shown the world with, especially with being able to have your shows on IWTV. I mean, what it means to be a comforting, safe space or promotion that's still able to put on five-star caliber matches, which is kind of crazy to me, but that's, that's the way the world works sometimes. And um, that being said, um, how has it been working with IWTV since you've been able to start having the shows on a tape delay, of course, to the rest of the world, but having them at shows and having them be able to, um, having to be able to work with them per se. IWTV, we, we probably honestly don't give them enough credit because they picked us up side on scene. Um, you know, we sent, we sent a bunch of Hail Marys once it came time or, uh, you know, shit, I'll get off the pot time when it came towards our first show. Hey, you know, like, Australia's starting to come out of this lockdown. Sadly, the US wasn't producing a ton of live wrestling at the time, no. especially not any live wrestling in front of crowds. The UK is still not really producing live wrestling in front of crowds. So we really, we, we kind of looked at ourselves and went, we're the only uh, country really in the Western world that's about to start producing wrestling uh, in front of live audiences. So we went, okay. And we threw out a couple of Hail Mary passes, as it were. And IWTV vetted us and vetted the management team, and then went, we're in. How can we help you with the with all the infrastructure and all the platform and, and every bit of credibility that IWTV has, along with all their partners and the amazing companies that work with them, went, how can we help you? And like, I so much of our popularity we can attribute to them and they could have just gone no fuck you guys like we don't want to work with you and we and you know we'd be running a pivot share or a vimeo and trying to charge 10 bucks a month and people don't want to pay 10 bucks a month just to watch our shows like that's not yeah. going to be a thing the fact that we're able to kind of contend you know there's what 200 plus promotions on iwtv yeah. 400 000 hours of footage or whatever the stats are these days yeah like it, it, it's super humbling not only to be on iwtv but that immediately gave a company that was starting fresh all this credibility because, you know, on a Thursday night in the US, we're going on IWTV and then your Friday, Saturday night, you know, it, it's ICW, it's Black Label Pro, it, it's, it's, you know, Time Bomb, it's No Peace, it's all these other amazing indies over there. And we get put into the conversation with all these people, you know, unsanctioned and, you know, all these other yeah. companies. Um, we, we, we get put into this conversation and immediately get elevated to their level, whether or not we deserve to be there or not, it's not up to me to decide, but it's, it's super kind of crazy where we went, Holy fuck. We're trending like number four in Australia. Yeah. Through not only our fans here down under, but fans all over the world who are tuning into IWTV and are tweeting along with the show. And then we're getting messages from people outside of wrestling going, is this your wrestling company that's trending on Twitter in Australia? Uh-huh. <laughs> How's that happening? Fuck the final, but um, you know that's kind of the power of that platform, and um, Dylan and Papa and all the guys over there have been uh, absolutely amazing, and I'm I'm super excited. We talked about it off there whether or not we'll have a live stream. Yeah, we'll do it. And the rest of the management team are going to get really cranky at me for this, but <laughs> I want to do one live stream. So you guys don't understand over there because, like, when you watch the Royal Rumble. The Royal yeah. Rumble is at what, like eight o'clock Eastern? Something yeah, like that. eight seven Central. So when we want to watch the Royal Rumble, it's like nine a.m. on a Monday morning. So you got to take yeah. school or work off if you want to watch the Rumble live. Oh my goodness! So, 
So I want to do a show that starts here at like one o'clock in the morning. So it's fucking eight Eastern, seven Central called You Know How It Fucking Feels. Yeah. And you guys have to get up early on a Monday morning to watch wrestling. I don't care if I have to run Monday night at one in the morning. So you guys understand (laughs) what it's like to take a fucking day off work to watch wrestling. That would be an amazing idea. And I'd I'd be that guy to maybe take work (laughs) off to be like, I'm going to watch a DMDU show at one in the morning. (laughs) Well, it's one in the morning our time, just so it's like breakfast time for you guys. Yeah, breakfast with DMDU. That should be another name show. Breakfast with DMDU would be an amazing one. Uh, Especially when it starts in the middle of the night. (laughs) That'd be amazing. Wow. Um, I know the management team. I don't think if 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 I was lobbying for the show, I think a few of them would be totally fine with it. So I, I think they're fine with it. The only thing they'd be annoyed with is that they don't get their beauty sleep. Eh, yeah. If if that's the only <laughs> loss in this entire conversation, then fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, of course, um, you yourself as a wrestler, I mean, you've been on a tear lately. I mean, you've done deathmatch after deathmatch in Australia, waving the Australian deathmatch flag. But, of course, the, you're not the only one, of course. There there are other guys who um, have really stepped up to the plate, um, past and present and future maybe. Who are some guys that you'd point us as fans in the direction of that you're, per se, this guy is doing deathmatches, but I think he could be very good. Um, the, the one I always try and point people towards is Mad Dog. A hundred percent. So Mad Dog was, uh, had just started wrestling live shows when I found live wrestling here in Australia and was doing hardcore matches and stuff like that. But the thing with Mad Dog is he is the most off the grid person you've ever met. (laughs) Like has only just got away from flip phones off the grid. (laughs) has had the same Hotmail email address since 2001. So the, the, the downside to being so independent is a lot of the amazing work that Mad Dog's done over the last 20 years has gone unnoticed because he hasn't really been driving that social media side of things, which has become pro wrestling in the last 10 years. But, you know, Mad Dog's done, he'd be 10 plus tours in Japan now. Do you know what I mean? Wrestled and had five-star bangers against Junkasai, five-star bangers against Masashi Takeda, yeah. two prades spread in weekly pro wrestling in Japan because yeah. he took gusset plates in his fucking feet against Kenji Fukimoto. Oh, Prince. my God. Do you know what I mean? And a match yeah. that no one really knows exists during, like, that Wrestle Kingdom kind of week. Yeah. Took gusset plates in his feet and in his head and got a two-page spread in the magazines in Japan. Yeah. Like... Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that I'm flying the deathmatch flag here in 2021, but from 2000 to 2020, it's been Mad Dog. So, and a lot of his stuff is on YouTube um, and, and super easy to look up. He's kind of the unrecognized. Uh, he had the JCW title for a while, the Juggalo title. Oh, wow, um, really? Madman Mad Pondo came out here for a tour in 2004 and dropped the belt uh, and, and then <laughs> picked it back Pondo. up on the way back. Yeah, look, if the clowns ever hear about it, they'll probably be crossed. But I think at this point, the statute of limitations of them being angry is probably passed. I was going to say, I mean, that's, that's, but it's, man, I, only Pondo would do such a thing as well. 
but also Pondo wouldn't put over anybody who's who's like shit house. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Pondo would only go, okay, you know, I'm happy to put the belt up against you, win or loss, if you're mustard, if you're that fucking good. Yeah. So so Mad Dogs obviously flied the flag. Uh, Cracker Jacks another one. Um, best promo in the country. I'd, oh, I'd put 100%. him up there. Hundred percent. And I'd put him up there against anybody in the world. Like he's currently retired. Whether or not that stands, I hope not. But you know his, his work and him and Mad Dog doing you know no barbed wire matches in front of thirty people, um, flying that death match flag while people like myself and Damian Rivers and Callum Butcher kind of. And and Vixen kind of find our legs in the scene to be able to now kind of go when it's time to go. But what I'm finding more and more now, like especially even last night with the situation we had, yeah. when Will Walker stepped in to do that main event death match, Will Walker turned up on the day, happy to help out with ring crew. Yeah. Guido had uh, COVID nineteen symptoms. He doesn't oh, have COVID. Wow. He, got neg- okay. he got a negative. He got a negative test back today, which is great. But he okay. had uh, flu and fever. And that's enough for us to pull him from the show. So, yeah. was, so I was like, all right, Guido's off the show. Hey, Will, uh, are you happy to fill in in the death match with Vixen? Yes, of course, I'm happy to fill in. Happy to be here and be helpful. Had a, had a good little fork on as a pain match with Vixen. Um, got his ass beat pretty severely, admittedly. <laughs> but then when, when Crusher got hurt in the main event, and I grabbed the mic and said, you know, does anyone want to fucking jump in and do this main event death match with me? I got all this shit and I'm in my tights. Like these people paid for a main event. Yeah. Um, like six people in the building started like taking their jackets off. Wow. Like Fox, uh, you know, who, who, who is a kind of a comedy heel for us at the MDU started, it was on commentary and took his headset off and started getting ready. Charlie Rose, who'd done a tag team match earlier in the evening, yeah. started taking their hoodie off and getting ready. Uh, Callan Butcher, who'd done the dog collar match early in the night. Like it was like, uh, like if you, if, there's no one else. I'm doing it. Damien Rivers, who was the match before me, and the toy, the match. toy, the toy death match. That's if, gonna break the internet. So many people are gonna be crossing the, that match. I swear to God. <laughs> I mean, if, if JST can piss off an entire crowd, I am sure he can piss off an entire internet fan base with that match. Well, to give you an idea, and I'll give you a teaser because I think this episode will come out before it airs on it, IWT. It's gonna be come out. Yeah, well, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> The trade-off at the start of the match wasn't Damian Rivers and JXT throwing hands. They were both holding figures, and the figures <laughs> were throwing hands. Oh, my God. Like little rock'em, suck'em robots. Oh, my goodness. It's the best, worst thing you've ever seen in your life. Yep, the internet's, the internet's going to lose their minds over that. Yeah, Cardona and Cardona's going to fucking have a heart attack. Oh, Cardone, um, Cardone and Hawkins are just going to have a day with that. They're going to, like, review that match down the line. I hope so. That'd be nice if uh, I could get fucking one-fifth of the followers that they have. I'd be a happy man. But, um, you know, even Atlas Whitaker, who who did the, the death match with yes. me and not hit a fuck spiders, but hasn't done one since and was just, you know, he, he did a, a tag team title match. It was, like, halfway through getting changed. He's like, I'm ready to go. We have such an amazing young talent pool of deathmatch people here my my biggest thing now is i just want to be able to provide the platform for all these young deathmatch people to be able to showcase their craft and showcase how good these guys are not only as wrestlers but as deathmatch wrestlers and you know like dmdu as a promotion can only put on a finite amount of shows yeah. because if i put on any more shows i'm gonna get divorced 
<laughs> but there are other companies here in Australia as well, like Suplex Wrestling in Newcastle are putting on really cool shows as well. Um, that was one of the, you, you mentioned at the top of the episode, um, COVID, we've had a recent COVID outbreak across Australia. Yeah. Um, you know, we handled the pandemic really well and kind of got the, <clears throat> got the virus under control, but our government has fucked the rollout of the vaccine really, really badly. So when there's an outbreak, we're still getting lockdowns because I think like 5% of the population is vaccinated. Yeah. So I flew all the way to Newcastle to do one of their shows, uh, for their explicit blend brand yes. which is a deathmatch brand and the show got cancelled now before the doors opened because wow. of an outbreak like three hours away but they they've got a crop of deathmatch talent as well and i think they're doing a fundraiser i'll send you the link they're doing a fundraiser oh, yeah. at the, the same link. time as our next show um and they're like if you hit this amount of money with the fundraiser we'll do gussets and this amount of money we'll do gloves oh. and this amount of money we'll do razor boards and okay pay for your violence and the best thing is uh, to all of our American listeners, your dollar goes really far here in Australia because our money is worthless. Um, <laughs> a DMTU has kind of like awoken this deathmatch monster here in Australia where everyone's like, yeah, I'm down for deathmatches. And I go, in my head, I go, you're fucking too talented to do deathmatches. You're an idiot. What are you doing? And then circle back around and go, we have this crop of deathmatch talent here in Australia that are really good wrestlers first and then passionate deathmatch fighters second. And that's super, super cool because being so isolated, I can't fly in a, jo a John Wayne Murdoch or an Alex Colon yeah. or a Nick Gage or an Eric Ryan or a Jun Kasai or a Masashi Takeda right now to go okay where do we sit against the rest of the world yeah for at least the next six or eight months we are still within our own bubble just going we are putting on australian death matches and showing off our style of deathmatch wrestling before we can kind of test it against the rest of the world that's what i'm excited about yeah um there's one death match you did that i think um i had known about this from the burnham experience show of course with charlie rose okay. And um, when I had talked to the Callum Butcher off air after his episode, we had talked about how there was a documentary going to be coming out about documenting this first death match. And the tweet that really stood out to me, social media wise was right before her match. There was a clip, someone to gift the show. And she apparently was having like an anxiety attack right before the show or right before the match, even because this was her first death match. And you kind of start getting the jitters and Jay, shout out to Jay again, who is a fucking wonderful human being. They are the absolute best. Um, he calmed, Jay calms her down. And I was like, the absolute trust that you have in these wrestlers who are absolutely green to the deathmatch world. And to be able to put on, and that match was really awesome, by the way. Compliments Thank to you. both of you, because... For Charlie Rose, I had kind of heard of her through the through the grapevine, as we say here, but I didn't really know if she was like a deathmatch person. But I was like, I will gladly sit down for another Charlie Rose deathmatch if it ever occurs again. Um, yeah, well. Shout out to Charlie Rose because that was to do the like the glass. You basically did the Alex Cologne step, the double glass crush deathmatch, and did it as well as you could have for a secret show or for. The, the fans who are there, this is not so secret. But for the rest yeah. of the world, they're like, this is like a really kept, best kept secret. The test. And so 
I felt that match was a true testament to what you were saying about these young, hungry, and ready, even regardless of the situation. And it was incredible to see that match happen. I believe, and honestly, I haven't watched it back. I think my promo after the match is cut from the IWTV feed. I think, I think it is. It's, it's for the best. But because <laughs> I'm not that eloquent on the microphone. I say fuck, <laughs> way too, I say fuck a lot. Okay. Um, but so, so the opportunity came up to do this documentary and kind of document deathmatch wrestling here in Australia. And there were four main figures in the documentary. There was myself, Charlie Rose, Vixen, and Guido. Yeah, and Vixen and Guido was largely largely covered at the uh, the show prior to the secret show, which show? And it was all about. Oh, was uh, it not t- 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 I believe it was not here to fuck spiders, but the timeline okay. kind of the timeline escapes me a little bit. Okay, so it, the 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 main narrative of the documentary is Charlie Rose building up to their first death match, and I'd met Charlie once or twice. Hey, I'm and the thing is like. Light tube matches aren't super prevalent here in Australia. So yeah. what happens every time we do a crazy light tube match, we get all these talents coming up to us going, holy fuck, that was awesome. Because deathmatch wrestling for the last 20 plus years has been painted with a really bad brush here in this yeah. country. And then they watch, yeah, imagine if every company was run by Jim Cornette. Um, <laughs> that's the most simple way for me to put it. But then they see a light tube match live and go, that was fucking awesome. I want to do death matches, which is great in theory. And then it gets, all right, put your money yeah. where your mouth is. And yeah, then the opportunity exactly. came up for the documentary. And I contacted Charlie, who lives in Tasmania, which is off the mainland of Australia. It's like yeah. that little island at the bottom. Okay. Uh, it'd be the equivalent of like Puerto Rico for you guys. Yeah. Or Hawaii. Um, but the weather's dog shit. <clears throat> and contacted them and went, do you actually want to do a death match or, or were you just chirping? Like we have a documentary, we yeah. built it over a couple of months, but the finality of this is tubes and glass, like big time death match. And they went, fuck yeah. Okay, cool. Right. Sounds good on paper. On the day, having done a bunch of these matches, I've not seen anyone so ice cold cool calm and collected on the day even regular deathmatch wrestlers like damian rivers callum butcher you know mad dog you get a little you get those kind of those little nerves going all right like when they're setting up ice cold as can be i was busy as fuck that day being you know one of the management team i have my boss hat on and i didn't get to put my wrestler hat on until quite late in the day ice cold didn't sell a fucking thing um 100 and then we got in the ring I didn't know about the anxiety attack until I saw the footage back. Yeah. Because, and if you, if you go back and you watch the, the in-ring introductions, yeah. when I throw the hands up and do my thing, I look them straight in the eyes across the ring and go, are you fucking ready? And they go, mm-hmm. Yeah, I like saw Charlie's head and I'm like, are they really ready? And then when we locked up, I said, how you feel? And they're like, nervous as shit. I'm like, look, we'll be fine. And then they bought it. They bought every single part of the intensity. They didn't hesitate on the bumps. Like the th- the story I tell to all the the wrestlers here in Australia who go, "Oh, deathmatch wrestling is a good idea in theory, but not in practice." Yeah. I really want to do a deathmatch, and it's time to do a deathmatch. The old saying is, "He who hesitates is lost." 
In death matches, he who hesitates goes to the fucking hospital. He who hesitates gets fucking hurt. Yeah. Which is why the show we did last night, and even more apt now with Will Walker stepping in in his street clothes to do a death match, was called Come Correct. Yeah. The culture that we try and breed in DMDU is not people getting death matches because it's trendy. And admittedly, it comes from your friend of mine, Alex Cologne. Yep. I don't want people getting into death matches because it's trendy. I know a one and done and, oh, hey, I get a rub, but taking a couple of bumps in glass. Respect the history. Respect the danger. If you're going to come in and do a death match, you're here to do a death match. And you want to be a death match wrestler. And with everything that we went through with Charlie through that weekend, Charlie's there to be a deathmatch wrestler and still is. You know, like went from zero to 100 and, and they came correct on that day. Do you know what I mean? They, they yeah. weren't phoning in. They weren't doing it for the clout. They weren't doing it for the social media push. They were there to have a fucking good match. And they absolutely crushed it. 100%. Charlie Rose, shout out to Charlie Rose. Um, that I mean, that was as baller. I mean, the, the fact that you've given so many like first time deathmatch wrestlers as well. I mean, Alice Whitaker as well is another guy who I, so I, I, I when I first, I want to just tell this story because from my point of view, watching DMDU shows, I watch, I've watched them all. Like when I first saw Toast of the Ebercrust, I was like, oh, a little safari esque gimmick. I was like, I don't know. I saw them wrestle. I was like, okay, they're cool. But then when you announced when, of course, the injury happened and Alice Whitaker stepped up on short notice for that light tube death match, I was like, oh, like, I, I tweeted out. I was like, are you for sure ready for this? Because I was like, I know you, Joel. You're not just going to give some newbie the, the real rub without giving him a little elbow grease and whatnot. But Atlas Whitaker, if he if he happens to hear this through his adventures, um, I want him to know, and I want the world to know, he is. Up, oh, I'm, I'm still here. <laughs> You're still it's, here. It's an it's an audio medium. If you hadn't sold it, it wouldn't be it, a thing. I was gonna say, <laughs> this is this is only audio, so those of, with eyes cannot see this. Um, <laughs> but Atlas, my Whitaker, phone's balanced on a piece of wrist tape. Yeah. <laughs> um. But Atlas Whitaker was a guy who I didn't know would be this good. But damn, I hope he does more death matches down the road. You know what? I said the same thing. So Vixen, Vixen had the injury and couldn't yes. do the barbed wire match. And which is coming up next week. Very, uh, very you, is this in Australia that. and wants to buy a ticket? There's still a couple of them. Very excited but, for that. Um, we'll, we'll touch on that in a minute. But I put out a shoot open challenge and got maybe 30 or 40 responses going. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And Atlas has been around for seven or eight years. And the thing I love about Atlas is his work ethic, but also his commitment to character. Like uh, you, you explained it pretty well, kind of the safari thing. It's like, uh, what is it? Time traveling Indiana Jones is probably the best way to, <laughs> to, to describe the toast that, of the upper cross. That, that is pretty good. I like that. Um, and it's like, okay, you're like this borderline comedy character, and I know you're good in the ring. You want to have a death match? All right, cool. You know what? Out of all the applicants, you're probably the most all round qualified to do this. <laughs> Let's fucking do it. And then, because I wear so many hats during a, a day on show, and 
and I'll be completely candid with you. I don't tell a lot of people this stuff. So you're getting like the, uh, the fourth wall breaks where I try and keep, you know, a resemblance of kayfabe when I do these podcasts, but, um, I, I'll, I'll break the fourth wall for you. So I wear so many hats on show day, you know, I'm, I'm one of the promoters, one of the bookers. So I'm, I'm doing so many things on show day. I don't necessarily get to sit down and call a match. So a lot of the match calling I'll do, I'll do through social media during the week. Yeah, And we'll chat during the week and then, you know, they'll get like maybe 90 minutes of my time before we go on because I'm doing so many different things. And the same thing with Crusher, the same thing with Charlie Rose, I kind of float some ideas out there to kind of see where they're at because it's all well and good to talk the talk. But if I go, hey, how do you feel about this crazy idea or that crazy idea? You can kind of gauge how up for the deathmatch they are. And I started floating some relatively crazy stuff as like a barometer and Atlas was like, yep, sounds good. <laughs> and, then, and then not only that, came back to me with their own ideas. Of, oh, how about, you know, I do this move. How about we incorporate a light tube here? Like I like to use a bit of British, uh, you know, world of sports style. Yeah. How about we do the Russ Abbott in transit, do the Russ Abbott with the light tube and I'll catch you with the knee on the upkick. Yeah. That's fucking excellent. Yes, let's do that. So it came to match time and the match felt like it was going really good, but I didn't realize till after the fact, there's a point in the match, I can't remember it specifically, but there's a double down. Okay. And we spoke about it afterwards and Atlas went through his head. I think I'm fucking this up. This doesn't feel good. And in the the exact same moment after we talked about it, in my head, I'm like, fuck me, this is brilliant. (laughs) Through all of the amazing character work that Atlas has done across uh, the amount of years he's been in the business, his timing and his selling and his intensity and his ability to kind of capture the moment in the room is better than anyone I've ever been in the ring with. When it was time for Atlas to fire up, and because the story was he went from the comedy character to the side. Yeah. That in the class of one story. Match. Yeah. And you, when the switch trips, the crowd goes, ooh. And in that moment, I'm like, fuck, we've got them. But he's like, am I fucking this up? And I'm like, this is the two best death matches I've ever done with a match with Atlas and the match I have with Charlie the month prior. Like, it, 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 it was kind of that thing where I went, we've got something special here, let's fucking go. And we went, and the finishing stretch was really awesome. And, you know, he was genuinely emotional after the match because yeah. the promo that we, the, that was the promo we left into the item. Nah, that was a fantastic um, promo, by the way. I loved it. I try not to plan my promos. You may see the promo after the fact that I cut last night. I tried to plan it and I fucked it all up. But <laughs> um, when, it, when I speak just about how I feel, like that, that was genuine. You know, Alice is first in the building and the last one to leave. And even if he's not booked, he's helping with the ring and stuff like that. But he comes up with a good character, and I know him and his partner are good in the ring. So, hey, jump in the tag tournament. And then he stepped up, and in one night, he went from comedy tag guy to the underdog deathmatch guy that everybody wants to see. So, he's not going to do deathmatches every show because I think that will kill yeah. the mistake. But I spoke to him immediately after, I've spoken to him at the shows since. He's all about deathmatches. So That's incredible. Watch this space. If anyone enjoyed the Atlas Whitaker death match, there is plenty more to come. I, I definitely enjoy. It. I know I, that's one I always point people in the direction to. Like, I mean, that and the Charlie Evans one both are like my top two 
if I had to they do were, it, they were fun. They were really fun. I think from a fan standpoint, but from your standpoint, just talking about it, it's just like, you can see the passion for you as well as like Charlie Evans. I mean, Charlie after that match was, I mean, she was trying so hard to keep the tears back, but I mean, that was, a, uh, that was, she, that was she, a, she made me, she made me cry. Yeah. The camera doesn't catch it, but she made me break on the apron on the, uh, on the ramp. So, and um, yeah, I mean, but Alice, it was a guy I, I, I had no clue. I was like, I had seen him in the tag tournament, but I was just like, is he really for real about this? Cause I, I put out the tweet. I think you saw it. I was like, are you for sure ready for this? Because this is an impromptu challenge. You're going up against a guy who I consider one of the best, just doing light tubes and doing this is this is your step. This is your bread and butter. But he he brought and that I could tell that moment you're talking about where you both just popped, and that crowd was in. They were into it. Our audience is such an amazing audience. I can't wait for come to the show we did last night to come out on IWTV. We have maybe 90 people in the crowd. Like, it's a small building. Yeah. That's why I was worried that the ring wasn't going to fit. Like, the, the ring is almost against the bar. Like, like I said, it's like voltage lounge. Like, there was a couple of rows on the floor and then standing everywhere else. But they were so receptive and so into everything that we were doing, whether it's a comedy tag team match or a death match, or we're doing fucking figures match, whatever we were doing, they're there for everything. Like, and it's super cool to kind of be that company because in Australia, it's always been WWE comes here once a year. Yeah. If that, there was a massive stretch where WWE didn't come here we're that isolated so everyone was trying all the indies here are trying to be wwe yeah orlando jordan lives here and got booked here wait orlando jordan orlando jordan lives like two uh about a mile and a half from where i live wait Um, no way orlando jordan lives in australia with his wife and owns a gym okay but he got booked here for so many years because it's like oh ex-wwe superstar orlando jordan Spoiler alert, he's not great in the ring. Um, <laughs> but it was always, everyone was trying to be WWE light, but I'm loving the renaissance of independent wrestling at the moment across the world. And it's super cool to kind of, you know, have the uh, the captain's wheel of a wrestling promotion where it's like, we don't want to be WWE light. There are so many amazing companies around the world yeah. that are doing progressive new school wrestling. Because, I mean, in, look at the crowd in Dallas and Houston over the last two days. Look at the crowd in Homecoming. It's fucking a deathmatch tournament trended number one in the United States. Yeah. With it, everything it else that's going on in the United States, about 300 million people in your fucking country. And a deathmatch tournament trended number one. Yeah, that, that, and that felt surreal to be that. I was like my first show kind of i had taken a break from going to shows i had done some shows during the pandemic but i kind of stopped just because i was like i'm not gonna go till i get vaccinated because it's getting worse and i walked in the showbo which mind you i'm just gonna put this out there for everyone who's listening that is a number one that was my probably one of my indie wrestling bucket list venues to go to that was like i had to be there through hell or high water that day no pun intended um and to go in that arena to see the crowd to be front row i know many of you saw me there just kind of doing my thing 
but that crowd was nothing I've ever seen before. It just some places are meant to feel special, and mm-hmm. that that day itself felt really, really special. So, yeah, I mean, it, it just it doesn't matter if there's ninety, if there's nine hundred, if there's a thousand. Who knows? It's just I, it's about where you go and what you're able to do. I understand exactly what you mean. I came to America in 2013 to do some training. I got a photo out the front of the ECW arena, a selfie, because I had no friends in America at the time. <laughs> uh, I have a selfie out the front of the ECW arena. I have a selfie out the front of the Hammerstein ballroom. But I will say it here and now. You say that the showboat was a grail for you. The showboat is a grail for me. I don't care if I have to run a show there myself. Before I inevitably hang him up, I'm going to have a match in the show, bud. I hope to be there for that. <laughs> you know I'm going to try to be there for that. Yeah, look, the drive's not that bad. You'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> I, I fly, but yeah. Everybody in America drives. It blows my fucking mind. <laughs> well, it's, it's like, kind of like a hit or miss because I'm just like in here, like I flew, but like we have to have our masks on while we're flying, which I'm totally fine with. I don't. We care. have to do that here too. But the exactly. thing is, like, how? What's the nearest major city to uh, where you are in Chicago? I mean, Milwaukee. For how me, far, so how far is Milwaukee? Milwaukee's like a good like hour and a half, maybe. Cool. So an hour and a half in any direction from hour is fucking bush. Okay. Nothing. <laughs> the, ne- the next, the next big major city is Adelaide, which is a ten-hour drive. It's ten-hour. Wow. Canberra is eight hours north. Like. Road trips here in Australia was a rite of passage because the flight's like only an hour, but it's so goddamn expensive because there's nothing in the fucking middle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, everyone's everyone in America drives. It blows my mind. I was talking to some of the guys who did the uh, Boardwalk Buds weekend and they're yeah. driving home and like, I'm going to be on the road for oh, 18 hours. There's only like four or five more to go. If I sat in the car for 18 hours with anyone, I would kill all of them. I don't like anyone enough except my wife to sit in the car with them for 18 hours and even then we're pushing. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm more of a flying kind of guy, but I mean, I, if, I, if, I, if I have to drive like six, seven, eight hours, fine. But like if it's like 15 hours where I was like, nope, I'm flying. You can get that done with flying. You can- I pulled the pin at about eight myself, yeah. Um, but so now that we've kind of like talked about like the present slash past work that you've done, let's sure. look towards the future. I mean, you have yourself, as you said before, next week you have a no-rope barbed wire finally happening after a few tries at getting this done. Third time's a charm. Third yeah. time's a charm, I guess, with you and Vixen, who, um, shout out to Vixen, by the way, has been really sweet to me as well. Absolute. I mean, all the DMDU people, I'm just going to say, are gems of human beings. Uh, that's just kind of the thing I like to say. But Vixen as well, super sweet. Um this is a match that you both really have put your time, money, and investment into. I mean, hell, you got Mr. Danger Matsunaga doing a <laughs> promo, which, by the way, is if you've not seen, is like the greatest thing I've ever seen. Just, you know, him behind the, the, the kitchen just doing it. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to show a promo for this no bar wire death match. Look, I popped as much as you did when it came through because uh, Vixen messaged me and was like, oh, I think I've got a promo for a friend to help with this match. And I was like, oh, yeah, you've got plenty of friends. You know, I, it might be like some reti- retired Australian wrestler. Or <laughs> and then they fought through the uh, the Matsunaga promo and I'm going to shit my pants. I was like, holy fuck. Oh, God. I, I have so much pressure on this match. But um, 
Vixen and I have known each other like the better part of 15 years and we, we kind of bonded over our love for deathmatch wrestling. We've both always wanted a no rope barbed wire match. And it's, again, it's just that that perfect kind of uh, happenstance of we have a time and a place and the platform, the money to go, all right, let's let's make this no rope barbed wire match happen. And yeah, this is third time's a charm. It was meant to happen earlier in the year and uh, Vixen got injured and Atlas stepped in. And then we didn't really publicize it, but our June show got canceled. Yeah. Um, because we had a, a snap lockdown here in Melbourne and it wasn't mm-hmm. fair to ask fans to buy tickets to a show that we didn't know if it was going to happen. Exactly. Uh, and then we were kind of meant to be on that show too. So all, all the cards have kind of been acclimated into next week's show. But um, it's, I have this nervous anticipation about it because this is the match I've always wanted. Even before I started like having actual matches, you know, my, my uh, mentor, Heath Fury, uh, who actually lives in the U.S. now. He lives in Oregon, which is really cool. Um, it's cool that he lives there. It's cool that he stays up to 4 o'clock in the morning to watch Australian rules football. Um, so shout out to Heath Fury. But, <laughs> I, you know, I was before I was watching, like, old-school NWA stuff, I'm watching, like, Combat Toyota and Mikumi Kudo fucking destroy each other. Yeah. And Onita and Pogo and, and, you know, Cactus and Funk and not like the match that everyone's seen, like the 100 people match from Kobe, um, you know, that we had to take legitimately tape trade for. Yeah. Um, the match that, you know, Mick Foley writes about in this book in front of 100 people that was, you know, this grail match for all this time. Grail to the point where I saw the RF video stand at the CZW show I went to in 2013. <laughs> and he didn't have the DVD there. Uh... But I'm super excited. Uh, again, I'm happy to give you the scoop ski. This is you. Um, both Vixen and myself have kind of tribute attires for this match based Ooh. on our love of Nora Barbai matches. That's awesome. I won't give. I won't give away who Vixen's going to do. But and it, with everything that's gone on in the last week, I still kind of want to do it. But. Uh, I got. I, I've spent far too much money. I've got a pair of Terry Funk tights made up for this match. Ooh. So I've got the red, white, and blue Terry Funk tights, and the the boots with the white trim and the white laces. Oh, and the red that's beautiful! And a cut up old school like retro Terry Funk t shirt because you know, like I I fell in love with Bob Wire matches watching yeah. Terry Funk films. So that that's like this match is kind of like the love letter to deathmatch wrestling for both Vixen and myself. So, and, and the crazy thing is when we originally booked it, it was meant to be the opening match on the show, but um, due to card changes, uh, yeah, full disclosure, Callum Butcher and Charlie Evans is meant to headline next week. Um, in their skewers and toothpicks and coffee oh, strips. Oh, I was, I'm really bummed that isn't happening now. And we'll get there eventually, but sadly, Charlie Evans lives in New South Wales, which has got a pretty brutal COVID outbreak. Yeah. Uh, at least by, at least by Australian standards at the moment. So Charlie can't make this show. So, uh, Vixen and I are stepping into the main event. So this match is, uh, getting more and more special by the day. So, yeah. And um, um, I'm super excited for it. I was going to say the venue you're running this show at is very historical. I just want you to give kind of the background of why it's such a historical venue. The Ukrainian hole in Essendon has run wrestling in one way or another since kind of wrestling came off uh, mainstream TV. So we don't really have cable here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have free to wear, which runs around the country. We have your three main, uh, four main channels, ABC, uh, which is the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, uh-huh. not the American. Uh, channel 7, Channel 9, Channel 10, there you four. Okay. Uh, and back in the day, in the uh, 
mid to late 70s, Australian wrestling aired during the week on Channel 9. So we had wrestling on free-to-air TV, mm-hmm. which is a crazy concept even in the US because yeah. you know, even Raw, Raw airs on basic cable. Yeah. Um, so we had wrestling on free-to-air TV. And, and as that came off, that was kind of the rise of the dog. What now we look back and it's like dog shit independence, but it was just kind of the, the old school TV guys still doing matches. And that was when, because the Ukrainian hole's over 100 years old. The building oh, wow. itself is, you know, heritage listed. So they've been running wrestling in one way or another for the better part of 50 years. And, you know, for the, I think the before Melbourne City Wrestling got in there back in like 20, uh, 2012, 2013, they hadn't touched wrestling in a decade because the promoter burnt them. And then shout out to Mikey, uh, who was the MCW promoter at the time, uh, and has also ring announced uh, the Juices Worth the Squeeze tournament. Um, he, he did the legwork to get wrestling back on side there. Okay. And then they haven't run that building in about four years. And we hit them up and went, hey, do you guys still want wrestling? And we asked for the blessing of Mikey, and he said, go for it. That venue means a lot to a lot of people. I wrestled there when I was like 15 years old. Vixen, I think, had one of their first, you know, matches there back in the early 2000s. Oh, wow. That building means a lot to a lot of people. Uh, I'd say it's almost like our ECW arena. Like a lot of people have a lot of fond memories in that building. Okay. Uh, Both performers and fans alike. And a lot of people thought that building was dead after... Melbourne City Wrestling moved on to to a bigger venue full time because this was kind of the B show venue. But the fact that we were able to pick it up and and kind of explain to them what our ethos is as a company, like yes, we do stuff that's kind of risky. Don't be super panicky about it. Uh, but we also have the super progressive, super safe space. And yeah, explaining to the current management of the venue the history because management changes but the building stays the same explaining to the people there that the subculture that they may not be super aware of like this building is the grail for this subculture yeah and for whatever reason no one's gone there and you know a finite amount of time is is super super cool and and we're able to lock it down and that we were able to have this show you know whether we go back there every month i don't think so like um I did, we'll talk about the dream tournament in a minute when yeah. you bring it back up. Remind me, I, I owe you a scoop. But um, I, I owe you a scoop about dream. But uh, the fact that explaining to the management at Essendon, you know, they may have been there only, you know, 18 or 24 months, but the fact that their building is so entrenched in wrestling history over, you know, so long, um, it's super cool that we're able to kind of not only be able to put a show on there, but, you know, bring wrestling back to this building and kind of keep the history of this building alive is uh, really, really cool. Yeah, that is really awesome. I didn't really think about it. I just saw when DMD was hyping up this show, I was like, oh, it's another cool show, really cool matches, no real barbed wire, but I didn't realize the mystique of that building. But um, yeah, I mean. You'll see it in the architecture when it is. It's, uh, not, like, uh, it's not like a normal wrestling venue. Oh, I, I love non-normal wrestling venues. Those are the best. So me. do I. Um, but of course, yeah, of course, as you said earlier, dream is happening next month as well. As we mentioned in the beginning, this is one of the, this is the only first and hopefully more first of hopefully many deathmatch tournaments in Australia. (laughs) Um, what's the insight you got in regards to that tournament? There's a lot riding into that tournament. So first annual. Yeah. Let's call it that. Cause we plan on, look again. All right. Let me unpack all the scoops to you that I can without getting into much trouble. Um, 
one, yes, we plan on doing it every year. Two, we plan on doing two deathmatch tournaments a year. Oh. One in our winter, your summer, and one in our summer, your winter. Okay. Um, which will be cool. So there's another tournament coming up in like January, February, but um, that's still to be decided. We are returning to Arrow on Swanston, uh, our home for the yeah. deathmatch tournament, which would be cool. Uh, we're also running a matinee show that day. Me and my best friend Hawker are running a produce show. Oh, okay. Uh, like Japanese style, so B and H produce. It's called. They said it shouldn't be done. <laughs> uh, definitely a kick in the balls to Alex. But what are you gonna do? <laughs> oh yeah, uh, exactly. He'll DM me. He'll DM me later, being like, "What did Joel say?" No, I already told him I'm doing it. He's like, "You got a problem with it? Come to Australia." Like. Um, <laughs> But we're making a weekend out of the Dream Tournament. So on Friday night, we're doing a bit of a launch party at a bar called the Catfish, which does okay. the best cheat does the best cheesesteak in Australia. Period. The closest thing I've had to the proper thing. Billy cheesesteak, yeah. Like I'd go Tony Luke's number one, Catfish number two. Okay. Okay. And then and then all the street cards that gave me diarrhea and Philly number three. But, <laughs> uh, so on uh, on the Friday night, we're doing a bit of a launch party. We're going to do a few No Ring Death matches. We're oh, going to awesome. do a bit of comedy, a bit of like onstage interviews and insights and stuff like that. Uh, then in the afternoon, we've got our matinee show, which will be a bit of fun. And then in the evening is the tournament itself. And then on Sunday, uh, we're doing a thing called WrestleBrainia, which is like a wrestling trivia show. Oh, yeah, I heard but, about uh, that. The, the, we do WrestleBrainia here pretty regularly. So uh, we're making, yeah, a bit of a weekend out of it um what insight can i give you that's not going to get me into much trouble so it's an eight person tournament yeah um you will note i said person not man um it's an eight person tournament i can't give away who's in it yet although i know the graphics are being made up for the entrance now okay um a person tournament single elimination the steps are a combination of unique Stuff like, for example, I know we're trying to do a Nullarbor deathmatch. The Nullarbor is the de- the Australian outback desert between Adelaide and Perth. It's about three thousand kilometers, which is like, yeah, you know, about uh, twenty two hundred miles, give or take. If you're a little bit shitty on the map, yeah, uh, of just desert. So desert style deathmatch, lots of cinder blocks, hot coals, cactuses, light tubes, okay, that kind of shit. So that's an opening round step. But the other side of it. I know also in the tournament, we're doing some throwback stipulations for what has influenced okay. us as Australian deathmatch wrestlers. Uh, I know that in the tournament, there's a ladders and light tubes deathmatch. Okay. Throwback to, throwback to Nick Mondo, JC Bailey. Yeah. Uh, and our take on the Jack in the Box deathmatch, Thumbtack Jack, DJ Hyde. Yeah. Um, like, you know, a couple of iconic American deathmatches for their time. Uh, and the final is, and have I seen you the Carnage Deathmatch before? No, I don't think. Uh, may, right. So, no, I think you sent me a Mad Dog match, but you have not sent me this Carnage. Was it the one. No Road Bobby match? Yeah, the, I the think it was. The... So that's the Carnage Deathmatch. Oh, that is? Okay. Kind of like lifted Deathmatch wrestling here in Australia, but also almost killed it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're doing the 2021 take on that. Oh. So similar things. Um, I'll say trying to engineer raining thumbtacks is a pain in the ass. Yeah, uh, I could see that. Yeah, but I've worked it out. It just took me and a bunch of other people a shitload of time to work it out, but it's happening. Um, so we're, we're taking that carnage stipulation, which was no rope barbed wire, Taipei 40,000 raining thumbtacks. 
and modernizing it a little bit. Okay. So it'll still be no rope barbed wire. It'll still be raining thumbtacks, but adding some of the more modern implements of deathmatch wrestling to it. Yeah. And that's your, and that's your final. My question is, is this for the DMDU deathmatch championship? I don't think we've said it anywhere publicly yet, but yes. That's what I thought. <laughs> yes, I figured. Is. This is for the deathmatch title. Yeah. Well, which, and I will apologize in advance, the people who you know will get cross about it. Uh, <laughs> the, title belt got, the title belt got made up in the middle of the pandemic, and it says Australian deathmatch champion. Okay, I mean, as opposed to the American death, nah. but um, yeah, it, it's it's for it's for the uh, the Australian Deathmatch Championship, which is a uh, exciting and fucking nerve wracking. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, to those of you listening to this who are in this tournament, I mean, you have something to fight for now, and you heard it here first. I mean, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's. There hasn't been a deathmatch title in this country before. It's the first deathmatch championship in Australia. It's the first deathmatch tournament in Australia. And what I don't know, I've said this a couple of times, I don't know if the rest of the world understands their influence here in Australia. Going back to what I said about being so isolated, all of the deathmatch wrestlers here grew up on the same stuff that you guys grew up. Yeah. But because we didn't have a local scene, we hold everybody in such a high regard. Casanova Valentine came here, and Cass, you know, um, is an amazing uh, yeah. entrepreneur. Does such great stuff. One hundred percent. Treated like a fucking rock star when he came here. <laughs> Sold out all his shows in no time flat. You know, like mid card indie guys uh, who show remain nameless because I don't want to, you know, bury them by calling them mid card indie guys. Come here, sell out a show, crush it on merchandise, and all the talent go, dude. I've been watching you since. You know, you you were green as as goose shit. Like Trent Seven, <laughs> for example, came here uh, in the middle of his progress tag title run. Okay, and everyone's coming up to him, going, "I remember when you got booed out of the ECW arena with MK oh. McKinnon when you guys came for best and the best and shit the bed." Oh my god! Right? And having that conversation with somebody like him at that point in his career—that's the kind of pedestal that everybody gets put on here. Like it, it's kind of. I, I, I want. I wish more American wrestlers understood their influence on the rest of the world, because people like Alex, people like <clears throat> Eric Ryan and Schlack, and then you go back a generation. People like JC Bailey. You go back another generation. People like Nick Mondo. Like all all these kind of people have influenced our passion and our style for what we do. So this tournament, and I go back to the love letter thing. We get to yeah. show the world what we have loved and what we still love to do. Yeah. I think that's as good of a way as you put it. And I do, I do. I see the influence. I see what you guys do. I know others is it's like getting like DMDU doesn't get talked about enough. And I, this is just kind of seeing where I'm at social media wise, but yes, like I, um, I've I've seen the work you guys put in and how heavily influenced you are by others, which I mean I think that's sometimes they say imitation is the best form of flattery, but um, in the world of professional wrestling, imitation really really is the best form of flattery, and sometimes you want to one up it, and I think you guys do a very good job of that as well. And um, that being said, of course, I mean I know you watch the states as well as 
much as anybody. I know you, as we talked about before, the Nick Gage injury. Um, something I kind of wanted to bring up with you, as we were talking kind of off air about double headers, like how do you feel about these double headers where you see kind of like the main event guys try to get put into two matches? Of course, Nick Gage was scheduled to do two big death matches. Of course, did the one with Sadika, but of course was taken out of the Alex Cologne match. Um, how do you feel about like guys doing double headers? There's look, you've got to be a certain breed of crazy to do death matches. And then you've got to be a certain breed of human being to, to make it to that elite level and be on top for all these death matches for, for all of the pissing and moaning between the two major wrestling promotions in the U S when it comes to death matches, I will give John Wayne Murdoch his flowers any day of the fucking week. Because he works the most hectic schedule doing main event death matches in the world. Champion schedule. Champion schedule. Yeah. Look, until he flies to Hawaii, does a defense and come back. Then we'll <laughs> um, I, I will give John Wayne Murdoch his flowers because he, he works his fucking ball. Yeah. Long form storytelling is something that is still proven to work in 2021 in the death match realm. You can look at it with people like Alex Cologne. They told a three-year story. Whether or not they plan to tell a three-year story is a different thing entirely. But they've told a three-year story that in 10 years, when I'm working with students going, who's the best deathmatch wrestler of all time? Mm -hmm. Alex is at least in the top three, if not number one. Because nobody else nailed the three-peat. And not only if somebody else gets, somebody else nails the three-peat after him, it's the time that it happened, the field it happened in. Go back and watch TOS4 and look at who Alex knocked off. Yeah. He was in the same tournament as the great Sasuke. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So long-form storytelling works. I understand the double shots, and that's fine. But if you're going to do a double shot, I don't necessarily like the same people headlining both double shots. Like, if you're doing the double shot, okay, have the world title headline one, and have the ultraviolet title headline another. Which it ended up being. Can, yeah, which it ended <laughs> up being. Coincidentally. Then have the world champion and a tag in the undercard. You know, if you want to see the best of both worlds, you can pay your money and come to both shows. If you want to catch one, you can catch the best of one. You want to catch the other, you can catch the best of another. Spread it all out because there's only, sadly, there's only a finite amount of dates. There's only a finite amount of talent willing to do all this shit. Um, I, I much prefer to spread it all out. And you'll notice with the DMDU booking, like I said, I said to you off air, I'll, I'll tell you here, when, when Crusher got hurt and it all went to shit, a couple of people came and said in my ear, they're like, what do you want to do? I said, well, look, fucking who's up in this death match? And somebody slid into my ear and said, it's either Callum Butcher or Will Walker. And in that second, I put my, my promoter hat on and went, I don't want to give away Callum Butcher versus Joel Bate yeah. on a whim. Give me Will Walker. That was the deciding factor in that decision. <laughs> Because I believe in long form storytelling. That's that's where I sit with the double headers. Like double headers can work, but whether it be Nick Gage or John Wayne Murdoch or Toru Sugiura or fucking whomever on top, yeah. spread it the fuck out because we are only one person yeah. with one time, body. Time is of the essence as well with these guys. I mean, I think as well, just kind of having conversations with you as well as others, like the the years of bumps, the years of pain are starting to kind of catch up to Nick. I mean, and 
the thing with him, and I love I love Nick Gage as the next person. I just want everyone who's listening to this to know that. But sometimes you got to understand your body. And, I mean, you, you could do this as long as you want. I mean, the guy almost died. He almost died in yep. the ring. He, he, he put the death in death match for a hot second. But sometimes with this injury that he had last year, he, yep. I, I, I would think he would have to work smarter. He would have to work a little bit slower. Have to work like – have to kind of take his movements and slow them down just a little bit. Not like too much, but it's just – it's the nature of the beast. I mean, you're, it's already bad enough. I mean, professional wrestlers, you guys are basically putting your back on wooden planks for years. I mean, that that's already taking years off the life as is. Yeah. But, to, but, but no, <laughs> Jess, if you're listening to this, we love oh, you. Oh, she knows. She used to be a worker. She gets it. <laughs> we love you. Um. But it's just like you only have one body, and some guys are really smart about knowing when to get out. I mean, look at the Nick Mondos. Look at well, the Nolan well this is the thing, and, and and you talked about like time is the essence. Nick Gage in in 2040, and I truly believe this. In 2040, we will look back at Nick Gage, who will then be 60. Yeah, as this generation's Terry Funk. Yeah, I can see that. Because he will have given more than any human being ever rightfully should to this business and ask very little in return. Nick Gage is an asset to professional wrestling, period, that should be protected and celebrated. Yeah. Nicky's not done. He's not over the hill. But there is no one who was around when Nicky started who is still going. Yeah, I was going to say that as well is because look a lot at of normal wrestlers, match. a lot of straight wrestlers who haven't been doing death matches for 20 years are done. You look at those early CCW cards, there's like, you know, we, we pull rockets out of mothballs every fucking six yeah. months for an awesome spot. And look, I'm the biggest blackout mark you fucking me. I've got a t shirt fucking in that tub over there on top of my kids. <laughs> but like, that, that's where we're at. And I think Nick Gage is amazing, but asking to do two death matches in two days, main event death matches in two days. The thing tournaments are different because you've got the adrenaline rush and you know, you're not going to bed. You're not sleeping on it. You're not waking up sore. You go, okay, I can get through it. And then I can rest tournaments are different, which is why the two day King of the death is so goddamn brutal because you can have a fucking massive night one sleep get up and then whoever can still make it to the end of night two is a different kind of human yeah but nick gage as the champion needs to understand nick gage loves this business more than i think anybody on earth he, he really he really is like the ultimate fan of this as so, exactly as someone who's only really conversed with him through email um he see and obviously all the media that gets put out he seems like someone who loves wrestling more than anybody on earth he is the mm-hmm. ultimate fan of professional wrestling that needs to be heralded and protected. Yep. I'm fine with him. Like, and again, I guarantee you, he was lining up number one when the Texas weekend got lined up and said, you put me on top both nights. I can fucking do it. Yeah. You know, the mind may be willing, but the body is a different story. Exactly. It's, and I mean, I, I, I want to kind of put this out there cause I have been kind of harping on this. I commend the guys who have done death matches, especially this is prevalent with, um, Nolan Edward, 
because this became very prevalent and but I commend guys who understand their body better than I think most. Like the, there's the deathmatch guys who are like they know their place, they know they're gonna continue doing this until they retire. But then there's the guys like a Nolan Edward, like a sick Nick Mondo, like those who are like, you know, maybe there's more to me in this life. And we're at that twenty year period. I genuinely think about it. Mm-hmm. In twenty years, that generation will look back at Nolan Edward as this generation's sick Nick Mondo. Yep, I, I agree. I mean, here for oh, a good he does time, the Mondo bond. But, but, but here for a good time, not a long time, and got out of town before I'd fuck this body up. And whatever Nolan Edward chooses to do to does next is up to Nolan Edward. Exactly. But there's going to be this two-year period, this kind of pandemic era of wrestling where everyone, like now, people like me, you know, in their mid-30s, look back at the Nick Mondo run and go, fuck you know, Nick Mondo was the guy and people are still doing fucking assault drivers now. Yeah. And in, in 10, 15, 20 years, you'll see a, you know, uh, a renaissance of people doing fucking double underhook neck breakers, uh, drill claw or whatever he calls it. Yeah. Because they'll look back on this Nolan Edward run of being one of the best kind of runs of this era. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's super cool to be on, but like knowing what your body's capable of, and it works in both senses. Like, I commend Nolan Edward for getting out now. He has his health. And and no disrespect, but especially in a country like the United States where the healthcare system is what it is. Yeah, exactly. And, and with everything that's going on with you in the last couple of weeks, you know better than most. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have nothing else, you have your health. Exactly. If, no, if Nolan Edward can get out with his health, that's amazing. But that works on the other side as well, where there are people like, tank and insane lane yeah. and neil cutter who, and neil cutter who are now starting to come back out of the woodwork as full grown-ass men with families you know who are closer to 50 than fucking 30 going i'm happy i'm healthy i'm in a point in my life where i can do what i love without any overarching risk to my family exactly that's also commendable do you know what I mean? It works the other way. Yes, we need to protect people like Nick Gage, who may go too hard, too fast. Yes, no one ever. But those are the guys who know how to work smart. But it's super cool for someone like Insane Lane, who, you know, we all look at the old body of work of, you know, like I said, going back and him and Ian Rotten tagging up yeah. in fucking double death and, and crushing it. And, you know, you use the old anonym of throwing VCRs at each other's heads. <laughs> but Toby Klein is kind of, you know, like what I look at. He has his health. Insane Lane has his health. Yeah, and there's a point in his life where he can still come and do these kind of things, and it's super cool for someone who's been watching the, you know, for fans who've been watching death matches for as long as you and I have, yeah. to sit there. I never thought in this lifetime I get to see Insane Lane wrestle, maybe live. I'd never seen Insane Lane wrestle live. I now get to sit here and go, you know what? When I get to come to America, there's six to five pickems. I might get to wrestle Insane Lane. Fucking fifteen year old Joel Bateman is a massive mark. For yeah. <laughs> Because I never thought that was possible. Because yeah. sadly, a lot of the other people from that era either crippled or dead. Like, deathmatch wrestling is a subgenre and a legitimate subgenre of pro wrestling, but we need to realize the assets we're playing with yeah. on both sides of the fence. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree 100% with you. I mean, there's both sides. And it was just interesting the response that Nolan got when he announced that it was 
his final death match and people were sad and I was and I just was like trying to reassure people I'm like don't be sad don't like he made a huge decision and mind you he's he's younger than me he's only like 22 years old is he 22 he's 22 he's not fuck he's, him <laughs> <laughs> I believe he's only 22 23 I, I don't know exactly but he's young he's younger than me I'm I'm 26 sitting here doing podcasts Fuck and, you, my niece. <laughs> but no, like he's he's making a huge decision in his life because he understands, and I mean the support he's gotten when he made this decision has been nothing short of incredible. But I, I see there's like the subset people are like, oh, I wish. But I'm like, you know what? Like, don't be sad. Be happy that he's going to progress in life. He's he's going to places that I don't think he himself would have ever imagined. I mean, he's a legit orphan. That's, I, that's I 100% it. agree. And, and you know what happens? Look, Nolan Edward may be stepping away from Deathmatch Wrestling in 2021, but he's going to be. And, and look, it, I, if Nolan Edward or people in his circle listen to this, cool. <laughs> cool. I, I don't think I've had a proper conversation with the man, but uh. in the next 10 to 15 years, looking at the trajectory of someone as genuinely talented as Nolan Edward, he's going to fly that he's going to be the John Moxley or the Nick Mondo of Deathmatch Wrestling. Of Deathmatch Wrestling. Yeah. Because they're going to do it for a minute, be fucking excellent at it, get out, and then fly the flag for Deathmatch Wrestling and point back to it and go, go and look at this subgenre and the passion and the heart and, and the love for professional wrestling that this subgenre entails. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Nick Mondo got out of wrestling. His last match was what, 18 years ago? 18 years ago. If yeah. you don't include the Cage of Death match, like um, 18 odd years. And he still champions Deathmatch wrestling better than almost anybody. Moxley's last Deathmatch, same thing. You know, 10, it's about 10 years ago now, has continues to champion Deathmatch wrestling to the point where he made a multi millionaire by Wild. Yeah, he. I mean, he's both of those guys you mentioned. I, I, I had the absolute pleasure of meeting Mondo at the Hall of Fame. Oh and, my god! And seeing his passion still, like, and um, it's I have a great story actually. Um, I had actually ran into him at Tony Baloney's, the pizza place everyone likes to rave about. Like, look, I was in line, and he was getting food. Like, I was right in front of him. I'm like, oh, you're getting food? As long as like, yeah. And um, it was just, like, so surreal to me. I'm, like, I'm literally behind, sitting, like, in front of Nick, sick Nick Mondo. A guy. You're Nick Mondo, yeah. Like, I'm, like, you're Nick Mondo. Like, I had met him the night before the Hall of Fame, but it was, like, those, like, casual moments where you're just, like, the, the, the fan in me who got into Deathmatch Wrestling four or five years ago still feels starstruck seeing a guy who is a Deathmatch Hall of Famer, a legend of – stuntman filmmaker whatever you want to make of him a video producer like you're just like this is really him like i'm not just like bsing myself and going like oh like it's just some other guy this is i 100 put nolan edward in that same bracket because at the 2030 2035 deathmatch <laughs> hall of fame he'll be there nolan edward but don't cry because people don't want to do death matches anymore. Like celebrate the work they did. Celebrate the work and, and, and let them champion this industry. It's true. Uh, Bam Sullivan and Brandon Kirk said it best. Deathmatch wrestling carried the pandemic era. Why? Because outdoor shows lend themselves to deathmatch wrestling. And in the USA, when it was practical to only run outdoors, you know what works really well outdoors? Death matches. Yeah, it did. It really did. Um, oh, oh man. Uh, 
I could talk hours on hours with you, my friend. I know it is late you and for I could sit here and do this. Uh, we could do this. Some good old flower of the morning. Exactly, but um, you're a man of busy times. Of course, you got a big no or barbed wire death match this week. Um, again, Joel, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to do this. It's it's always an honor to speak with you as well. I mean, I consider you a friend of this business as well. And as always, um, I like to kind of give my guests the opportunity to just kind of plug away at the end, just um, how can fans or anyone help with DMU or how can people find you and chat you up to talk, to give their own experiences on wrestling. Um, uh, or is yours, my friend? Uh, thank you very much. So I help run a tiny little company on the far side of the world called Deathmatch Down Under. You can find us DM Down Under on Twitter, Deathmatch Down Under on all other social medias. Our Instagram is a lot of fun. That's a piece of glass in my hair. That's interesting. Oh, fine. Um, yeah, that, um, it's the uh, carnival of showbaggers that is the back of my head at the moment. Yeah. Um, I've, I've recently launched a store on Deathmatch Worldwide, a uh, friend of the show, as well as... Um, Deathmatch down under the promotion also now has a store in Deathmatch Worldwide. But what I will put over, um, I could sit here and plug all my shit until the end of the year. Um, you know, Lauren and I retweet enough shit that if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can probably find exactly. me. Um, I've got a friend of mine named Johnny. Uh, obviously, the show started on a pretty somber note, and sadly, I got to end it on a somber note. Uh, Johnny cut my hair for my wedding day. He's uh, He's been a long-term friend for, for a long time, uh, and he's currently in a coma now. He has a... Uh, brain infection uh not dissimilar to what marcus crane went through for, for you deathmatch fans yeah uh, i've retweeted his gofundme um he has a young kid and a wife and runs a barbershop on his own so uh in in lieu of like if you say hey you know i like this interview i like joe bateman instead of buying a t-shirt throw 20 bucks towards him um because him and his family are really appreciated when he comes out of this coma so um i i, I write my wife's name on my wrist tape every single night that i wrestle uh, last night was the first time in about four years that I wrote somebody else's name on my wrist tape, wow. Johnny on my wrist tape. So um, in, in, instead of uh, putting me over, if uh, anyone's got any spare scratch and, and can put it towards Johnny, that'd be well. Yeah, um, I'll definitely, when this episode comes out, we'll be taking all the links you send me as well and putting those over. I mean, I'm a man of philanthropy. I'm going to definitely be sending Johnny some spare change my way as well i'm always here i'm always trying to be a helpful hand um full philanthropy wise so um good comment yeah it's just it's just the, it's the least i can do but yes um shout out to deathmatch worldwide there i'm they're they're a new friend of the show now Corey and those guys so i'm definitely going to be hitting them up in the near future um but um again joel thank you so much for being on as always guys thank you guys listening um this has been an absolutely awesome conversation with of course the smash hit joel bateman lauren rosenberg signing out This has been a Countout Podcast.